All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is <laughs> thank you, Anne. My name is Stephanie Brusseller. I'm the sustainability manager here at Moraine Valley Community College, and this is one of our events to kick off Earth Month. So thanks for joining us. Today we have a really exciting presentation for you that's going to involve a lot of different interactive activities, including pedal power by this bike, which you will see soon. I'd like to introduce to you Joey Feinstein, otherwise known as Joey Fine Rhyme. And uh, he's going to talk to us about climate and waste and uh, all things positive beyond that. All right, thank you. Terrific to be with you all here. It's my first time on Moraine Valley Community College's campus, and it's a pretty beautiful place. So it seems like a proper place to be discussing the environment and some of the great challenges of our time. So as you can see here, the title of this presentation is called Be the Change. And really what this is meant to come back to is the premise that when we're talking about any great challenge or crisis, ultimately the solutions to such problems come down to ourselves. And Be the Change is something that was originally coined by Gandhi some years ago and many great people in American history, including Martin Luther King, were students of Gandhi. So this ethos of Be the Change is certainly a current that runs through American society. So in a moment, as Stephanie mentioned, we're going to be using this apparatus here. But before we do, could I ask you to drive yeah. I'd like to ask a question. And I'm wondering if a few people, first thing that comes to your mind, first word that comes to your mind when you see this. Plastic. Waste. I heard recycle. Ocean. Oh, she's on to something here. Onto a current, you might say. Groundwater depletion. Any others? <laughs> Empty bottle. There's a bar called The Empty Bottle. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. Uh, I'm sorry? Oh, oh, PVC. Thank you. Oh, you were spitting out the whole name. You were too quick for me. Thanks. Anybody got anything else? Ah, marketing. OK. So now, the moment that you've all been waiting for, uh, how many people know Stephanie? Okay, so a few of you. She is the sustainability guru here on Moraine Valley Community College's campus. The one woman warrior who is leading a whole army of efforts. And um, I gotta say, you guys are lucky to have her here. So what we're gonna do now is, I'm gonna fire up a little beat here which initially you're not going to hear. Could you start pedaling? And now we have two songs going at the same time, which was not the intent. Okay. So you know what? Let's take that back from the top. So right now, there we go. That's what we're looking for. So right now, this generator wheel is generating electricity that is powering both 
that speaker, as well as this mixer. So literally, this entire sound at this moment, except for the microphone, is being powered by Stephanie's feet. So if you all would engage with me for a moment, she's providing clean power for us. Maybe we could provide a little clean power for her. If you join in with me on the three, two, one, Go Stephanie, 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 go Stephanie. Well, here's Stephanie with the clean power because you know we need some clean kilowatt hours. But we also need to clean up our planet and if I could, I would diagram it. Now, you've given me some words about the bottle. I'm gonna pull it back like a lyrical throttle. Now watch over here as I do a freestyle rhyme and it's all in real time. You know, the situation's getting quite drastic and I'm talking about this crusty plastic. It's throughout the whole world and pretty soon we'll see the whole thing unfurl. And I know that it would be delightful if each one of us could recycle, but really what we need to do is reduce because all around we see endless abuse. Let's call a truce. Don't you know it's time? We got to move it a little further down the line. We got ground H2O depletion everywhere. We see nasty secretions going into the groundwater. Understand that the whole planet getting hotter. Why bother? Well, we do it for life because right now life's in a state of total strife. And you know what? I got a strong taste for a little bit of zero waste. Because when you look out into the ocean, you're going to see a whole lot of plastic floating. It's a really nasty state of affairs. And I don't think humanity is quite prepared for what we got coming up in the future. Get our minds straight. Stitch it up like a suture. Don't be a moocher mooching off this earth because it's given each one of us our birth. So now I'm going to move on with the presentation, talk about the here state of our nation, but we'll come back to the freestyle a little later, and I hope that it's something that you all will savor. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And a round of applause for our peddler. So that's uh, how I like to kick things off. Back to be the change. That's really what, as I mentioned, this whole presentation is ultimately about. Largely, this is educational, talking about the challenges that we're facing, but bringing it back to this ethos. Anybody recognize her? OK. Anybody tell me who that is? President Jenkins, yes, thank you. And this is what she had to say about sustainability. This is in your climate action plan for the Moraine Valley Community Campus, which is a very bold action plan to make this campus what's called carbon neutral by 2042. And we'll talk a little bit more about what exactly that means as the presentation goes on. But clearly, here she's saying, this is a serious issue for every department, discipline, and student. And obviously, you all being students, this applies to each one of you. What we're going to be talking about today, first off, global warming. Secondly, what I call the trash rash, 
which is essentially the phenomenon of trash spreading throughout this planet. I know that somebody mentioned the word ocean when we talk about plastic bottles. That is one example of how this trash rash is spreading mass, mass deposits of trash in our oceans. In fact, if you ask someone where the largest landfill is, well, it's actually not on land, it's in the ocean. But we'll get to that as the presentation goes on. And lastly, what you can do. How each one of us can get involved in this and be part of the solution. First, I'll share a little bit about how I got involved in the sustainability effort. And it started, not surprisingly, on a bicycle. That bicycle actually moved, though. And it was a cross-country bicycle trip that I took some years ago that started in northern Wisconsin. And from there, my buddy and I rode our bikes to California. But it was while riding through that state right there, North Dakota, that the real implications of global warming first hit home for me. And it was there that I met a small farmer who expressed his deep concern about the changes that he was seeing in weather and how he felt that was not only going to affect his land and his livelihood in future years to come, but also the world at large and its ability to feed itself. And so, suffice to say, that is a conversation that has stayed with me to this day. And I think it underscores an important point, which is that when someone shares with you a message that moves you, when you come to the realization that there is a crisis that needs attention, you never know how individual conversations may affect and influence people to also take action. And from there, a message can truly spread. Had that man not shared his opinions and his worldview that day, I don't know that I would be here now with you sharing this message. So that's, I think, an important facet of Be The Change, using our voice that each one of us are communication vessels for the world. Now, as I mentioned, that trip ended in California, San Francisco. Little did I know at the time I would return there several years later to study sustainable business, specifically an MBA in sustainable management at the Presidio Graduate School in San Francisco, and then returned to my hometown of Chicago. And when I came back in 2008, started an organization called Climate Cycle. So Climate Cycle is a nonprofit organization, and the way that it really got going was through annual bikeathons that was raise money for different green school efforts, primarily Chicago public schools. And one of the big efforts of Climate Cycle had been to put solar panels onto school buildings, along with a variety of other green education efforts. And really, it brought people from throughout the community together to rally around this cause and accomplish things that couldn't be accomplished individually. Also brought on a variety of different sponsors and partners, and through all of those efforts, over a six-year period, raised over a million dollars for different green school efforts, primarily within the Chicago public school system. This is one example of a climate cycle team. This is Locke Elementary, a west side Chicago public school. 
They're about 92% low income, meaning that the student body, 92% of them come from families that add or below the poverty line. Yet, nonetheless, this school, over a two-year period, raised close to $25,000 for green school efforts at their school. So we put in solar panels at Locke. We brought pedal power to Locke. We brought a variety of different educational initiatives to the school. And it was really a great success story. And again, an example of what people can do when they come together to accomplish what can't be done alone. This is a picture of a solar panel installation at Curie High School, a southwest Chicago public school. And that is facing the orange line, actually. You can see that from the orange line as you pull into the Pulaski stop on the CTA. Subsequently, over the last year and a half, two years, I have turned my efforts primarily to the educational side. I am not doing as much with Climate Cycle at this time and have started doing more and more in the way of what I call raptivism. So as you might deduce, activism through rap. So I could rap about that all day, but in the interest of time, I'll continue on. And we'll move into some of the meat of this issue right here, global warming. So I assume most folks have heard of NASA. How many people would say they consider NASA to be a trusted source of information by a show of hands? How about a majority of the time would you say that NASA is a trusted source of information? How many would say they're not a trusted source of information? Okay, so yeah, I think we've got one person who says not a trusted source, maybe a dozen people would say it is, and maybe some undecideds out there. Okay, well, the reason that I bring up NASA right now is, and just a little bit of background, of course, these are the people that we trust to send our astronauts safely into space to deliver a rover the size of an SUV to Mars and drive it around. Well, this is what they're chief climatologist has to say about global warming. He says, we are a society that has inadvertently chosen the double black diamond run without having learned to ski first. It will be a bumpy ride. Now, uh, probably most of us, including myself, are not skiers, uh, not many good skiing spots around here, but a double black diamond run is essentially the hardest rating for a ski slope. So what he's doing is he's drawing the analogy of never learning to ski, trying a bl double black diamond run, and for such foolishness, there will be consequences. And similarly, that is what I believe we are facing right now with global warming. We are not mitigating our actions. In uh, words that you may recognize, check yourself before you wreck yourself, uh, applicable to both skiing and global warming as well. And the reason I specifically chose NASA is this is a video that they put together. This is a NASA time-lapse animation. And what it shows are temperature fluctuations from 1884 to the present. The areas in blue show parts of the globe that are cooling, areas in yellow show moderate warming, and areas in red show extreme warming.
So here we are. You notice that the greatest increase in warmth is occurring up north where the polar ice caps are located. That's why glacial melting has been accelerating at a rate that was even larger than initially anticipated by climate models because a majority of the warming is taking place up there. Part of what early climate models did not take into consideration is that the melting glaciers would have a feedback loop where light and heat that was formerly being reflected back into space by ice ultimately turned to water, which is the most heat-absorbing element, or I should say compound, around. And so there's a feedback loop that causes that area to continue to warm at a rate above the rest of the planet. So what that chart did not show, or I should say that video did not show, is 2016. So 2016 was the hottest year in recorded history. It broke the record that was set in 2015, which broke the record that was set in 2014. Now, as you see by the title of this or article, it says challenging global warming skeptics. There are still some skeptics out there. I do think that this probably is similar to other issues that we've seen, public health issues, you might say, throughout our nation's history. Going back into the 1960s when it became overwhelmingly clear that smoking has harmful side effects, there was a big movement to try to make that into a myth. We even saw advertisement like this, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. More scientists and educators smoke Kent than any other cigarette. Maybe some of your science professors can verify that. And then there's this man. This is a picture of my great-great-grandfather. And I decided to pattern my style after him. And actually, I'm just kidding. It's not really my great-great-grandfather. <laughs> You're like, wow, I feel sorry for this guy. No, but he is a very important figure in the history of global warming. This is a man by the name of John Tyndall. He was an Irish scientist who all the way back in 1850 theorized that the burning of fossil fuels, which releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, would have a heating effect on our planet. He was the first person to discover that. And what we see here is that every year, carbon dioxide levels continue to rise. And that's the direct result of burning fossil fuels. Now, the reason that there are these, the sawtooth effect to the graph, these peaks and valleys each year, is that a majority of the world's landmass is in the northern hemisphere. So in the spring and summer, when foliage grows, leaves come out on the trees, plants sprout, grass comes out of the ground, that greenery sucks carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And it's almost like the Earth <sighs> takes a big inhale. And then in the fall and winter months, when that vegetation dies, leaves fall to the ground, plants wither away, those tissues break down, that carbon dioxide that was stored inside of that vegetation is re-released back into the atmosphere, and it's essentially like the Earth <sighs> takes a big exhale. 
But the most important thing to recognize with this graph is that it continues to rise, and it continues to rise as a result of the gasoline we're burning, the coal we're burning for electricity, and other fossil fuels that we use. And this intensifies what's called the greenhouse effect. Now, in and of itself, the greenhouse effect is a good thing. It's a naturally occurring phenomena for our planet. Without it, we would be at about 180 degrees below zero, and none of us would be here. But what we find is that now, with the burning of more and more fossil fuels and the release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, that layer of greenhouse gases is getting thicker. So it's really the same phenomena as putting a thicker blanket over yourself. If all you have over you is a bed sheet at night, you might be kind of cold. But you put a comforter over you, it's going to trap more of the body heat that's coming from your body, and you're going to be warmer. And the exact same thing is happening with our planet right now. The more that we release in the way of greenhouse gases, the hotter our planet is going to become. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how long are we going to allow this situation to go unmitigated? So on the one hand, there's the term global warming. But really, what we're looking at is an overall weirding of the planet, climate change. Everywhere we look, weather is starting to change. And what were formerly stable weather patterns are shifting. On the one hand, we see deserts grow as soil more rapidly evaporates. An increase in storms in one part of the globe can be accompanied by drought and brush fire in another. Global warming at the same time is a water warning as well. And this is happening in a variety of ways too. Already water-starved areas are seeing greater, greater stresses put upon fragile supplies. This is a picture of a village in India. India is surrounded by an ocean, but of course they can't use that water and have very limited resources in terms of fresh water to provide for over a billion people. And this is one of the most vulnerable places in the world to changing water supplies. So on the one hand, we have less water where we need it, and now we're seeing more of it where we don't, largely in the form of glacial melting. And this is something that doesn't just affect animals. Of course, the polar bear has become the poster child for the global warming movement. It certainly touches a lot of hearts, understandably. Cute, fuzzy creatures, you wouldn't want to come face to face with one necessarily. But their dependence on sea ice puts them at great risk. But there are other risks as well. As more and more of this glacial melting occurs, ocean levels rise. It's the same thing as putting ice cubes into a glass of water. The more you put in, the more it's going to rise. Here's one such example. Anybody know what country that is? What was it? Uh, well, you're close. I think you're, are you, were you think, were you think Malaysia? Oh, uh, this is Papua New Guinea right here. Yeah, that's Papua New Guinea. And this is a picture of an island right off of Papua New Guinea. And this particular picture 
shows a man, the people in the background, and every person on the island about to be evacuated permanently. They're gone. Water levels are too high. They, in 2009, became the first official climate refugees. They will not be the last. They haven't been the last. There will be many more. But they were permanently evacuated from the island because of rising sea levels. Their land is getting swallowed. When was it? 2009. It's the Carteret Islands, C-A-R-T-E-R-E-T. -E -E and uh, that was it. Saying goodbye to their home for good. So what we see in many ways is a situation where things are swinging further and further back and forth like a pendulum, more and more weather extremes. Overall, the planet is warming. But most importantly, what we're seeing are greater and greater extremes. And Chicago is no mystery to it. I could go very, very deep into depth about the plethora of changes that we've seen over the last decade or two in terms of Chicago's weather. But just to give you a little snapshot, 2012 to 2013, we had the longest snow drought in Chicago's history, 335 days without an inch of snow. So there's one extreme. The next year, we had the four coldest months in Chicago's history. Probably many of us lived through the polar vortex. Second snowiest winter in Chicago's history, the coldest winter in Chicago's history. Now, this year, the first time that we have never seen snow in January or February. That is the pendulum effect. And we are going to be seeing more and more of that. If you go back a couple of years, actually one year before that snow drought, no, it was the same year as the snow drought, we had eight 80-degree days in March that year. Over the 130 years prior, we had had a total of 12. That is staggering. And we are going to be seeing more and more phenomena like this. And this is something that not just NASA, but every major scientific academy, not only in America, but over the entire globe, agrees is happening. That climate change is upon us, and that it is primarily human-induced. So when we think about our traditional sources of power, we really need to start rethinking how we're getting juice in those lines. Because on the one hand, we can continue to rely on dirty fossil fuels that are going to continue to intensify this problem, dirty our air, exacerbate asthma, all kinds of health effects, not to mention taking these out of the ground, which is an incredibly damaging effect to our planet. Or we can start to rely on more benign power sources, wind, solar, other forms of renewables. And what this really presents is a crisis, but in the way that the Chinese define crisis, there might be a more hopeful way of looking at it. The Chinese, of course, is a character-based language. Crisis comes from two particular words in the Chinese language. One is danger, and the other is opportunity. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to choose? And directly behind you, through that door, where you can find Stephanie 
a good amount of the time, but I know that she's out there moving and shaking a lot, so I can't say how often exactly. You have your Center for Sustainability, and it's a resource for you. Do you want to say anything about that right now? I mean, I can, but you can say it, but you want me to keep going? Okay. Um, it's a resource for each one of you to start to understand the kinds of opportunities that are out there in your careers and on your campus because there are probably a ton of initiatives that you are not familiar with that are happening here. And not only is that an opportunity for you to do good for your school, the world, but it's also an opportunity for you to start to garner skill sets that are going to become increasingly important in the emerging green economy. And if they're not increasingly important, well, we got bigger problems than we can imagine. Now, this right here is a picture of a 10 megawatt solar field on the south side of Chicago. This is the largest urban solar field in the country, 10 megawatts. That would power this campus probably 150 times over. So it's a lot of power right here on the south side of Chicago. Another example, this was a solar project called the Ivanpa, not Ivanka, the Ivanpa Solar Field in the Mojave Desert of California. It is the largest solar array in the world. 300 megawatts, 300,000 solar cells. That takes a lot of engineers, a lot of installers, a lot of people to maintain. So these are some of the types of opportunities that are out there for you all to be thinking about. This right here is a picture of a net zero building in New Jersey. It is called the Polytechnic Institute. Now what net zero means is that this is a building that generates as much energy as it uses. So essentially, it's extremely energy efficient it takes a lot less energy to run the building, to heat it, has efficient lighting, so it has a very low energy usage per square foot. And on the other hand, they have renewables on-site, solar, wind, that at the same time are generating electricity. So this means that the building does not use any more power than it creates. And in talking about green careers, this is a picture of my wife, Han, in her office in downtown Chicago with the Wyatt Group. Uh, the reason that she's the only one in there despite these other tables is she's, she's such a big thinker that uh, they just couldn't put anybody else in there. No, but actually, in all seriousness, she is the first person in the Chicago office. And that's a company that's based out of Minnesota doing work like this all over the country. So there are more and more opportunities like this. They just hired her for this job about six months ago, picked up several more people in the meantime. So these kinds of things are starting to become more and more prevalent. And certainly, I know that folks like Stephanie could use more and more support to push their initiatives forward, which in the process can also help you start to gain the kind of skill sets and understandings to take advantage of these opportunities. And lastly, there is the Swapathon. I wanted to mention that there will be a Swapathon on April 26th from noon to 3 right here on campus. And what this is, is essentially an opportunity for you to get rid of things that you're no longer using, pick up things that you might want 
that somebody else doesn't need anymore for free. And again, this goes back to an ethos of sustainability because we can go and buy something new along with all the new material energy that goes into it, or we can start to reuse more of these materials and live in a more sustainable fashion, which is a good segue to the second topic at hand, which is the trash rash. So all across America, we may not see it, but there is no throw away. That goes somewhere. And in a best case scenario, this is where trash ends up. And to give you an idea of just how quickly landfills have spread throughout our country, you see those two little dots. In the year 1911, top left of the screen, those were the only two landfills in America. This is what's happened since. The red ones are landfills that are at capacity and have closed. The green ones are ones that are still open. So when I say trash rash, that's what I mean. So we might think about things like this, bring your own bag and bottle, as just kind of like crunchy, granola, greeny things to do. But really, it's no joke. If we consider ourselves, and I believe most of us are people that want good for the world, there are some really simple things that we can do to start to reduce our impact and do right by this planet, do right for the present and future generations of this world. Because what we're doing right now is simply not sustainable. Which is why we got to bring it to the B-Y-O-B-B. B-Y-O-B-B. That is a way that I have used to ingrain it in my mind. And it didn't happen overnight. And still, I have a long way to go. I'm not up here to say that I'm holier than thou, better than anybody else, doing this the right way. We're all figuring this out as we go along. But we need to start figuring it out. And there is a lot of low-hanging fruit, easy stuff that we can do to start making a difference in the size of this problem. This is a man by the name of Captain Moore. And you see there, he's holding up a jar, and the background is the Pacific Ocean. So inside of that jar is ocean water that he just scooped up off the side of his boat. And you see there's all these particles floating around in there. Well, this guy discovered about 20 years ago something that people were believing existed but hadn't located yet. And I'm just curious, how many people have heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? So, a few. And, you know, even for myself, who's steeped in this stuff, I don't think I heard about it until like six or seven years ago. And he discovered it in 1997. And it's just amazing to me how little we hear about these things. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it is literally a swirling patch of plastic soup in the middle of the Pacific Ocean 
that is approximately the size of two Texases combined. So you go anywhere in that patch, you scoop up some ocean water, and what he showed right there is essentially what you'll find. It's not a literal patch. It's not one solid mass that got glommed together like an island that you can walk around on. If it were, it would be a lot less harmful. But it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces. And one of the terrible atrocities that occurs out of this is that animals end up ingesting it. And this is a picture of a baby albatross. The albatross have the largest wingspan of any bird on the planet. Its mother couldn't tell the difference between plastic and food. And so she literally fed her baby plastic to the point where her baby died. There's over 200 pieces of plastic in that baby's belly. And th that's blood on all our hands. There's just no two ways about it. We can try to bury our head in the sand, but the reality is when we look for the culprit, each one of us can look in the mirror. This is a picture of a giant whale washed up on the coast of Spain. When researchers tried to figure out the cause of death, what they found inside of the whale's belly were over 43 pounds of plastic. 43 pounds. I mean, that's a lot. Imagine a 43-pound dumbbell. Well, they found that inside the whale's belly. So the fate of our planet and the fate of our oceans are really inextricably bound. Oceans produce 70% of all oxygen. 90% of all life lives in the oceans. So there's good reason for these creatures to be a bit freaked out because by the year 2050, at current rates, there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean. And that is by weight. Because every year, 16 billion pounds of plastic end up in the ocean. It's insane. That is a picture of my wife again wearing this dress right here, made entirely out of plastic bags. I also have, I'm not going to put the dress on, by the way. So. Yeah, no problem. I thought, I, I thought I'd save us all from that. But what I will put on is uh, this. And I realize these are boutique example pieces, but it's just a little testimonial of the variety of things that we could be doing. This is 80 plastic bags right here. That's 500. That's 580 bags that won't end up choking a turtle or who knows what. So when you see these kinds of landmarks around campus, it's more than just a fuzzy little something. These things really do matter. That bottle that you might recycle, which ideally in the long run you won't be using, but in the intermittent time, what we do with these materials really can have an effect, a living or dying effect as time goes on. That plastic bottle. We're talking about a thousand year life. So it's gonna be around a lot longer than any of us. So again, going back to that ethos of reusing BYOBB, it really matters. So just to 
round this up with a couple of more opportunities that are out there. This is a picture of a water company that created something called Green Sheep. Instead of using plastic, they're using lightweight aluminum bottles, a truly recyclable material. Plastic, for a variety of reasons, can't truly be recycled. It can't turn into the same thing it was. It can only be what's called downcycled at best. It's a very dirty process. Aluminum, on the other hand, much better. Ideally, you're reusing, which is a great material to reuse, but if you're going to buy water, something like that is a lot better for the planet. This is a picture of Erlene Howard, started a composting company in Evanston. Composting specifically, food waste. Food waste accounts for a majority of our landfill space. And you might think, oh, not a big deal, food ends up in the landfill. But when organic compounds like food end up in the landfill, terrible for the planet. Releases methane, doesn't break down the way it's supposed to. Methane, a greenhouse gas about 20 times more powerful than carbon dioxide. But when it is composted properly, there is no methane generation. And in fact, it acts to regenerate our planet. It turns into high-grade, nutri nutrient-rich soil. Again, examples of be the change. So to quickly round it up, BYOBB, think about it, please. It's a great step to start to lighten our footprint on the planet. Thinking about things that are both healthy for us and healthy for the planet. Biking, walking, opportunities not to use as much in the way of fossil fuels. Could go on about this a long time. Would certainly welcome any questions in a moment about anything that you might have along those lines. Things like the Swapathon that are happening on April 26th, again, might seem like a small thing, but as these actions start to become more and more commonplace, real change can happen. And to round it off here, something that I think about, when the situation that we're facing, the challenge, just seems like, God, what do you do? I think back to this. It's a New York Times editorial from the turn of the century. It's saying that it will take between 1 and 10 million years of steady work to figure out how to get an airplane off the ground. Well, 10 days after this was printed, two bicycle mechanics, based on the work that they were doing in their bicycle garage, figured out the key to flight. And so it just goes to show that the future truly is in our hands. And that's something for each one of us to think about. Thank you. So any, uh, any questions at this time or? Yes. Uh, the question was, have I checked to see if the information I got from the EPA is still available? Well, that NASA slide is not from the EPA. It's from NASA specific. The landfill slide is uh, no longer available. But I got it through another route. I got it after uh, the new administration started uh, gutting the EPA. Yeah. So just all the more... Re well, you know, it's scary on the one hand, but to tell you the truth, I see it as an opportunity because at the end of the day, if we keep doing what we're doing and we as a society don't start to wake up to this problem, 
I think this is a wake-up call. I think it could actually be to our benefit. I look at something like the Civil Rights Movement. That wasn't government. That was grassroots people rising to make a difference and then forcing government to do the right thing. I think that's exactly what we need to be doing. And so in that sense, I almost think that this current administration and its environmental policies, while it will set us back a step, could set us two steps forward because we'll finally start doing the heavy lifting that we as a people need to do. That's my hope. Yeah. Any other questions that I can field? Nothing? Yes. What is my opinion on the EPA? Um, oh, I think it's a hot mess. You got somebody in the EPA, Scott Pruitt, who's heading the EPA, who says that global warming is a hoax. And you have every scientific academy in the world disagreeing with that. And in that sense, I think that the EPA is a mess. And I appreciate, I mean, there are a lot of people doing great work for the EPA, and it grieves me that their funding may well evaporate, and those people won't be able to do the same work they were doing. That's, that's on the one hand a tragedy. But on the other hand, I really do believe that it's not going to come down to government solutions. It's going to come down to societal solutions, and especially in America. You know, this isn't Western Europe where everything's top down, where governments really tend to mandate what happens in the same way that uh, I, we don't operate in the same way here, in my opinion. I think great change, when you look at great change in America, it's rarely happened through the government. It's been executed by the government in certain ways, and you see wonderful legislation being passed over time, but oftentimes, most of the time, I think, that comes from a push of the people. So does it sadden me to see certain rollbacks to things like emission standards for cars and the idea that we're going to try to get more of our power from coal and these kinds of things, absolutely. Worries me a great deal. But I think at the end of the day, not to be a doomsayer, because I'm not or I wouldn't be here, but our current trajectory is a disaster. And we are looking at consequences that I think are hard to imagine. And for us to really make the change we need to make, I think it's going to come down to individuals saying, i got to step up. And I think this makes it clearer. If you put a frog in a pot of water and put that pot of water on the stove and turn up the flame real low, that frog will never feel the change in temperature and will die from overheating. If you put a frog in a pot of water, turn up the flame real high, it'll jump out. That's the difference, and that's what I see. That's what I hope. Yes. Mm, great question. Um, so the question was the agricultural uh, practices of pesticides and genetically modifying foods. Um, one thing to keep in mind, a uh, perfect example of how I have a long way to go, uh, this is not organic cotton. Cotton uses 25% of all pesticides and accounts for about 3% of total crop production. Uh, of course, you 
use this a lot longer than you do a, a salad. Hopefully, you're not eating a salad uh, three years later that uh, you made. <laughs> but uh, so so you, you got to weigh that out too. But yes, cotton. Uh, so. I think that pesticides are a huge problem. We see cancer rates going up all over the place. My 43-year-old uh, cousin-in-law just got diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, you, you see it all over. And I mean, that's not a scientific example, but statistically, cancer rates are going up a great deal. And it's not just because people are living longer. It's, I've read, and I don't consider myself an expert on this, so please don't take this as absolute fact, but my understanding is that 90% of all cancer is environmentally created, which includes things like smoking. So when you're talking about smoke, that's considered an environmental cancer, but that is not good news when we're swimming in pesticide soup and it's going all over the place. So I think pesticides are a huge problem, and I try to eat as organic as I can for that reason, pesticide-free food. Not just for myself, but also for the fate of the planet and our land. That stuff goes into our soil, gets into groundwater, spreads throughout, and we're all ingesting it in one way or another at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I think it's a huge issue. Huge issue. Yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. Homes. Homes. You know, that's a good question. I don't know exactly where it goes. And, and electrical, uh, it's, I'm no grid expert in terms of, but, but transmission can go all over. So, you know, you can say that you're running your house off clean power when you might not be, but it's going somewhere and it's going to homes. I don't know exactly where that's directed. I think it's probably, oh yeah, the Exelon. Um, Yes, I believe that is partly Chicago. Yeah. Part of the grid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Give it up for Joey Feinreim. <laughs> thank you so much, Joey. That was great. Um, thank you all for participating. Again, this was one of our events for uh, Earth Month. As you know, Joey mentioned the Swapathon. So please, if you have things at home, there's boxes around, you can put stuff in there, and then on the 26th, you can come and take things that you want. No charge, there'll be other activities. The other thing I'd like to let you know about is that upcoming uh, April 21st is an, is an event called Act Out. You're, Joey was talking about how you can be the change. Act Out is a, is a conference about civic engagement. You'll learn about all different opportunities to become civically involved, to be involved in your community, to learn how to advocate, and then also to understand what is civil discourse so that we can have these challenging conversations to move the needle forward. So please check out the ACT OUT website. It's moraineevalley.edu slash ACT OUT. Uh, register for the conference. It's going to be a really invigorating experience, and it's great for your resume as well. So thanks again for joining us, and I uh, hope to see you.